Today's podcast is brought to you by the Bioceuticals Integrative Oncology Workshop with Dr. Lee Zalchula. This full-day program will run between the dates of the 20th and 28th of July across Melbourne, Sydney, Gold Coast, Adelaide and Perth. The intensive class will explore key concepts and therapeutic integrative strategies for breast, prostate, colon and lung cancers, as well as how to support toxicities associated with conventional treatment. By the end of the day, you'll be able to confidently implement this important aspect of patient care into your clinical practice. For more information and to register for this critical event, please visit the Bioceuticals website at bioceuticals.com.au. FX Radio, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. And with me on the line today is Professor Mark Cohen. Mark is a registered medical practitioner with degrees in Western medicine, physiology and psychological medicine, and biomedical engineering. He is currently chair of the Australasian Spa and Wellness Association, a board member and past president from 2000 to 2007 of the Australian Integrative Medicine Association, AIMA, a member of the RACG AIMA Joint Working Party on Integrative Medicine and a board member of the Global Wellness Summit, as well as sitting on the editorial boards of a number of international journals. Moreover, he's the co-author, along with Associate Professor Leslie Braun, of Herbs and Natural Supplements, an Evidence-Based Guide. Mark is also a regular media contributor for major Australian newspapers, also ABC Radio National, many other regional stations, Television appearances on ABC, SBS, Channel 7, Channel 9 News, Current Affairs and also Lifestyle programs. Mark is active in research into the efficacy of integrative therapies such as organic food, nutritional supplementation, herbal medicine, yoga, acupuncture, electromagnetic field therapy, breathing techniques and wellness metrics. Um, And I'm sorry, that's all we've got time for today. So, So I'm so glad to have you on the line with me today, Mark. Welcome. Yeah, I'm tired just listening to all of that. <laughs> i got to say, like I've known you for quite a few years and that is such a mouthful. You have done a lot. I guess I'm persistent. I guess you are. Tell me about your evolution though. Like I want to know what you're like as a kid. Oh, always into new experiences. Yeah. And, and always trying to find out how, how to have the most fun. And in fact, I went into medicine originally thinking that it would teach me how to have the best fun, yeah. the healthiest and happiest life. And um, after four years, I realized that it taught, taught me a lot about disease and pathology and not much about health and well-being, which is what I was interested in. Yeah. So I had this sort of convoluted academic path, 20 years at uni, doing various other degrees, trying to understand wellness. So were you, were you always directed towards wellness, or was that just something that you thought, I'm not happy with that, so I've got to look elsewhere? No, I, I always figured that you know, if you were really well, you wouldn't have to have this sort of stopgap approach to medicine where you just you know, remediating and patching up diseases. And also that, you know, it was, you know, originally it was a personal thing. I wanted to know how I, I could have the, the happiest, healthiest, most fulfilled life for myself. Mm. And if you get, you know, medicine, you know, you learn about life and death and everything in between. Um, that would teach me that. And, you know, it's been a long journey and I'm still learning. But, um, 
yeah, I've always been interested in you know, how do you maximise performance, how do you maximise resilience, how do you um, enhance your ability to cope with stress and avoid disease rather than how to treat disease once it's in place. Can I delve into a little, just a little bit? I know this is this is such a huge topic for you because I I remember seeing some research for you for gosh, fifteen, seventeen years ago. So you've got a long history of research in integrative medicine. Um, tell me about some of the research that you've done and what have you seen in the development of research in general? Well, it's a long, it's a long uh, story. I, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, the original research I did was in the mid-1980s looking at um, early life experience and later disease. Uh, that was for my honours degree. Mm. And then I subsequently did research in Eastern and Western medicine, looking at Chinese medicine and how you translate the concepts of Chinese medicine into medical ah. scientific terms. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've found that I've always, I'm really comfortable being the bridge, whether that's the bridge between Eastern and Western medicine, between science and spirituality, between the commercial world and the academic world. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really comfortable between disciplines, and I like to bring in diverse areas of information and sort of integrate them and and hence integrative medicine was a natural fit for me indeed that all of that research and garnering of that has, has culminated in you co-authoring the book herbs and natural supplements with um, Leslie Braun tell me about that evolution how did the book evolve yeah well I mean Leslie and I we, we sort of we were together at school we we're the same vintage and and throughout um, our careers, we used to see each other at different events. Where she, and she was doing in the pharmacy world what I was trying to do in the medical world, and that bridged the the, the complementary and con- conventional um, aspects of each world. Yeah. And then, um, after a few years, she 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 came up to me and said that she was going to author this book on herbs and supplements, and she wanted a medical co-author, and she invited me to to co-author with her. This is about fourteen, fifteen years ago now. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually put it to her. I said, look, you know, that would be great because I want to learn about um, herbs and supplements. I didn't actually learn much about nutrition in my medical degree. and I realized how important it was. I I figured that would be a great learning exercise for me to write a book about it with her. But I also said to Leslie that if you're going to be serious about this and try to bring this into the conventional world and into academia, you know, you need a PhD yourself. So I said to her, you know, I'll, I'll write the book with you if you do a PhD with me. Um, little did I know that 14 years later, you know, we're up to the fourth edition of the book and I'm still writing it. And she's well and truly finished her PhD and now heads up the Blackmores Research Institute. And and I've got to say, that evolution of that book has been dramatic. Like I, um, I the first one I had was the second edition. Um, tell me about the, how it's uh, increased in size and also usefulness. Well, well I mean, between them, the first edition, I think, was 400 pages. And, um, you know, we, we, we try to provide a, a rigorous assessment of the evidence and also some practical knowledge where the evidence wasn't there to, to actually give practitioners and patients um, a perspective. Mm-hmm. And then um, after three years, I mean, the book was quite successful. The publisher wanted a second edition and we reviewed all the herbs again and, and nutrients and came out with an 800-page book. So it literally doubled in size between yeah. the first and second editions. Mm. And these are very small typing. You know, you know, this is a dense book. Yes. And then um, in another three, four years later, we were asked to do the third edition, and that was, went from 800 to 1,200 pages. And now the, um, the fourth edition has just come out this year, and that's 
in two volumes, two, two separate <laughs> volumes, and it's um, 1,600 pages. So, And that's partly because we've added some extra uh, monographs of different herbs and different supplements, mm. and um, partly because just the amount of research has, has vastly increased in this area. And um, we've also had to take on additional authors to help us write it because you know, 1,600 pages of incredibly dense information, and it's quite current information. We do our best to... to um, review the current literature and, and provide a, an evidence-based summary of each of the in each of the monographs. Um, you know, it's an incredible challenge, and mm. you, know, um, you know, I'm still learning. And every time we we do another edition, I learn a lot. And you know, I add. Um, I'm, I'm I'm very interested in the the um, culinary herbs and the you know, the kitchen pharmacy herbs and, yeah. and some of the um, essential oils. So I really enjoy authoring those those chapters. But yeah, there's just um, a huge global increase in the amount of research dedicated on nutraceuticals and nutrients and, and herbs. I think I think the two points here is it, it sort of lambastes that comment that there's no evidence for for nutritional supplements and that. There is. You've just got to actually type in some stuff. Um, but the second one is for those GPs that might be sceptical but would like to learn stuff about what their patients are taking, um, that they can rest assured that Herbs and Natural Supplements was applauded by the um, um, Australian prescriber, the NPS, National Prescribing Service. I think it was in 2009, 2011, um, that this was one of the four best resources for use by uh, for GPs to get unbiased information about nutritional supplements. I mean, it's, it's been great how the books received. It's, it's, I mean, even Edzard Ernst, you know, one of the you know, mm. big critics, has sort of yeah. said this is you know, this is a, you know, one of the top books. And um, I think pharmacists and naturopaths and and doctors, uh, you know, it's become a sort of a, a standard reference book. And um, it is seen as an authoritative resource. Absolutely, uh, it, like it, you just can't not have it in your in your practice. To me. Yeah, and I think the ability to have the electronic version and search it, and um, I mean, I still use it constantly as a reference. Yeah, um, you know, there's no way I can keep all that in my head, and um, yeah, so it's constantly on my shelf and, and gets used. And I think every GP, especially, needs to have access to either this book or something like it, because their patients are using a whole range of over-the-counter herbs and supplements, and it's the doctor's responsibility to actually understand what the potential interactions are mm. with prescribed drugs and also to engage patients in a discussion about what they're doing, why they're doing it, you know, what is the most useful thing they could be doing and then also discussing the, the evidence for or against it and also the safety issues. So there really is a, um, a, huge, you know, a huge impost on doctors to actually have access um, is they don't have to have it all on the, you know, in their head, but they need access to some evidence-based resource so they can advise their patients appropriately. And indeed, furthering that education for integrative GPs and indeed all integrative practitioners is the upcoming AMA conference in July 2015, and you're going to be a panel member. Can you take our listeners through this your session? What's going to, what's the main focus of of it, and uh, what's the highlights? Well, it's always interesting doing panels and. and and one of the things I like about panels is you really never know where they're going to go. And, you know, it allows for some spontaneity and rather than you know, death by PowerPoint, it actually <laughs> allows for, a, you know, a discussion between people. Yeah. And I think the issues, you know, currently are um, how important is integrative medicine for general GPs? You know, what is integrative medicine? What are some of the challenges that we're facing? What are the, what are the future directions? And, you know, what can... GPs, I mean, and the conference, this AMA conference has always been very 
practically minded. So to give people um, real world practical information they can they can then utilize in their practice. Um, so you know what what are the key things that that doctors can do? What do they need to do? What where are some of the resources or the um, further education um, sources? What you know what are the key research challenges? Um, yeah, all of these things will be you know talked about on the on the panel, and you know there's a, a top line of panelists. Leslie Broad will be there, mm-hmm. um, amongst others. So yep. yeah, I'm looking forward to a, a, a rigorous and robust discussion. And what about? I remember seeing one of your earlier research pieces. Um, what are you currently working on? And one of the things that, by the way, interested me in your bio is wellness metrics. Can you take the, our listeners through what that means, please? Yeah, well, I mean, wellness is this sort of nebulous term. It means everything to everybody, but what is that, what actually is it? And and for me, I've, I've in, in fact, even in my own personal evolution, I've um, you know I've been very active in the integrative medicine world for nearly twenty years now. But um, now I'm becoming much more interested in in wellness as a discipline on its own. Yeah. And for me, wellness incorporates the health of the individual, but also including the community and their environment. And you know now we're understanding. You know, you know we live in a climate of change. You know the whole environment's changing. Um, we're understanding more about the impact of our environment on our own health, but also the impact of networks and community and um, social connection on health. And I mean, while you can be healthy as an individual on your own, to be well, in my in my view, mm. you need to be you know grounded in a in a physical environment in a community. Yeah. So the research I'm trying to do now is is trying to understand how we actually can measure that, and when we when we get measures measurements of wellness, both and that includes, for example, measures of pollution, you know, air quality, um, biodiversity in terms of the environmental measures, um, measures of amenity and security and um, financial security, and then also measures of health and social connectivity, and, and you know, a whole lot of different multidisciplinary. Um, measures together to come up with a metric that it's not just valuable for an individual to understand, but then a group can can actually look at it and undergo what's called socially augmented cognition. And that's when you can think about things as a group that you wouldn't think about as an individual. And that comes up with different solutions because to actually change our well-being, it's it's beyond an individual's capacity to change what the council uses on their you know, spraying on the roadside uh, or, right. or you know what what food is in the tuck shop in the school but if as a school community we understand that you know hey our school kids are you know uh, have all got Overweight, or you know there's higher higher incidence of asthma or allergy or whatever yeah. it is mm. then as a group you can actually decide to do something about it so socially augmented cognition hmm and we've now got the tools in terms of the you know, the smartphones and the sensors and other d- different devices yeah. that allow pooling of that data and to make that data accessible to groups, whereas in the past it was only accessible to either governments or health authorities or scientists. Mark, two last questions because I know you're very busy, but the first one is AMA or uh, the AMA conference. What would you say um, to sceptical GPs or indeed specialists who, who might be wondering about this, what would you say to them about inviting them along? What would they they learn? Well, I mean, I, mean, I think scepticism is a good thing, um, but, you know, you need to have an open mind. You know, if you, you know, not so open, your brains fall out. But, um, <laughs> but 
you know, I think it's beyond um, question now that, you know, the patients engage in a whole range of complementary therapies and patients actively take over-the-counter um, herbs and nutritional supplements and that there are a whole range of therapies that are safe and are effective that aren't normally taught in medical school and aren't part of a normal GPs or specialist um, repertoire of therapies. Yet to ignore them, um, there, there's a, a real risk mm. that these doctors are going to um, you know, harm their patients or provide um, treatments that are harmful um, and have side effects when there was a, a safer and possibly even more effective treatment available. And that's <clears throat> that's a tragedy for each patient, yeah. but it's also a um, a risk to their, the way they practice. And I think it's really important that, that all doctors understand you know, the idea of first do no harm, the idea that um, you, know, you want to go into the um, more lifestyle interventions uh, prior to specific interventions because they have positive side effects, not just in the disease you're treating, yeah. but in a whole range of different conditions and also improve resilience for future diseases. So, um, you know, by enhancing the body's ability to adapt and, you know, to, to cope with stress and to cope with whether it's microbial stress or chemical stress or psychological stress, um, those approaches can be very effective for specific diseases. And no matter what sort of specialist you are, you need to include those. Yeah. And then to realize that this is not alternative medicine. This is complements everything else you do. Yeah. And very often, I've, you know, for years, I've been talking about what I call the sense approach, which is just stress management, exercise, nutrition, social and spiritual interaction, and education. You know, that's, the acronym makes sense. Yep. Um, and it makes sense that, that you know, they're the, you know, what I call the pillars of complementary medicine. But, but if you improve any one of those pillars, if you improve how you manage stress, how you move, how you eat, how you interact, or how much you understand about your condition, you'll improve your health. And that is in addition to any other specific treatment you use. And when you integrate all of those into the context of the whole person's life, that's when it becomes integrative medicine. Mm. And, and, and it's also important to realize that this is about individual patients. So I think we get a, you know, sometimes a bit carried away with evidence-based practice and we want to randomize in a double-blind placebo-controlled trial for everything, but that doesn't actually make any um, def definitive conclusion for individual patients. Mm. We have to consider, you know, a patient's, you know, their own personal preferences, um, you know, their own life goals, what's available and accessible to them, what they're willing to do um, in terms of treatment, and consider their whole life circumstance. And there's no trial that will tell you what's happening for an individual patient. So that's when the, you know, you know medicine's really an art and it's informed by science. Mm. And I think that, you know, it's if we get too carried away just by science in medicine, then we really lose the art. That's and, right. and the art of medicine was there way before the, the science came in and science changes. You know, mm. one day hormone replacement's in, the next day it's out and non are in and then they're out. But in terms of the art of medicine, of being... Um, a therapeutic channel for your patient, having that therapeutic relationship. Um, you know, that's you know, the fundamental joy of being a doctor, but it also um, it needs to be informed by science, but there's, a, there's an intangible element there that actually is this interpersonal um, connection and interpersonal therapeutic relationship 
that is the magic of medicine. And I think that also needs to be focused on. Indeed. Uh, I might just point out for our listeners that all of the concepts you're talking about and, in the, and the acronyms are explained in your book, uh, Herbs and Natural Supplements. And it is a bare minimum for any integrative practitioner to have on their shelves. Um, so, Mark, my last question just before you go is, and, and I have to ask this because it really amazes me. I don't know which school you and Leslie went to, but how do you guys juggle it all? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to work that out. Um, I mean, it does help to have, you know, be on the one track. Like, yeah. I mean, I've been on the same track for, you know, 30 years now. Yeah. Um, so you just build up relationships and networks. It also helps to have... Um, you know, I surround myself with people who are much smarter than me, and that includes my PhD students like Leslie. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I mean, they say that, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So I, I'm actually, I spend the most time, you know, um, you know, a lot of time with, you know, incredibly That's switched true. on, powerful, smart people. Yeah. Um, and that, that magnifies my ability to do things. Yeah. Well done. Professor Mark Cohen. I know you have to go and I could talk to you for hours, but thank you so much for taking our listeners through what the 2015 AMA conference will entail, but also what integrative medicine will bring for um, people who practice um, care for their patients. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Andrew, and um, perhaps we can do something another time. I'd love it. It's great great to be able to chat and, um, yeah, I look forward to seeing you at the conference. Excellent. This is FX Radio, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook.